So this evening, I would like to talk a little about what we're doing and, of course, the connection with uh, meditation in daily life and to look very much about the first uh, tools of awareness, what we're doing in the meditation, in the walking, and how that's going to help us. And then moving on to, in a way, what are we doing when we're sitting in meditation? What are we developing that then is going to help us in daily life? And that's what I call creative awareness. So first, I'd like to talk about tools of awareness. And these tools is, as I mentioned, every day we have a, a different tool. Like today we had the breath and the sensations in the body. Tomorrow we will have uh, other throughout the week. And, of course, one of the ideas why I uh, bring different things is so that you try different things, also see what fits you. But it's also because each tool of awareness is going to help us develop and have a certain effect in a little different way. And also we can use that in our daily life. So if I take the breath, one thing with the breath for most people, not everybody. Recently I was teaching in Germany and during the question and discussion time somebody said, I can't do the breath. It stressed me out. Because I just said, you know, breath is calming. She said, it never calmed me in my life. So I said, don't do it, you know. So it's very important to know that any given technique is generally going to be useful for about 60% of the people. And then 40%, it won't be very helpful. Then you can take another one. I think this is very important. Instead of doing something like the breath, if it gives you a headache or stress you, don't do it. Do something else. I think it's important to be creative with it. But normally with more certain people, the breath helps you to calm down. Just watching the breath often has this kind of calming effect, quietening effect. But more than that, I think with the breath, what is interesting is that as we focus on the breath, we're actually focusing on our life. And to me, because a lot of the time we really lost a lot in abstraction. And often there is... I would say, a lot of discontent with our life. But what we forget is how amazing it is that we are alive, how amazing it is that we are here, that we can breathe, that it works. The air comes in, the air goes out, and we're still here. And so in a way... You know, sometimes people come to me and say, you know, they are worried or they are anxious or concerned about death. And I say, you know, right now, you are not dead. Right now, you are alive. Of course, in the future, it will happen. No doubt about that. But right now, you are alive. And this is what, to me, this focusing on the breath helps us to, to, to be more experientially with our life, not our imaginary life. 
but our experiential life right here, right now. Which means that if I am alive, if I am breathing, there is a potential for life. I have possibility, I have ability, I have capacity, I can have activities. And so in a way, focusing on breath is actually also focusing on the potential for life in any given moment. But to me, even more, with the breath, if you look deeply into the breath, what actually you see is that constantly air is coming into my body and my air is going outside. So in a way, constantly, in a way, there is this connection between me and the world. I am not existing independently. Through the breath, I am connected to everything that is alive. And so sometimes in meditation, I think it's interesting to focus on what is this air that I breathe in the experience? And you realize it's the air that everybody is breathing. So in a way, your air goes into my lung. My air goes into your lung. So there is this amazing connection through the breath, which then helps us not to feel so isolated, so separate from life, from the world. And in terms of our daily life, what it can be useful is to use the breath in a way when we feel a little busy and agitated. You can of suddenly, oh, I am busy. As soon as you have this idea, I am busy, it's like a tunnel vision. And you can, oh, I am busy. It's kind of like, and then when you start to feel that agitation, that nearly gasping mind, to just for 30 seconds, just to come back to the breath in that moment, to come back to life in this moment, instead of being ahead of ourselves. I think this can be really very useful so that we don't get lost in abstraction. We come back to the whole. There is, of course, the breath in this moment, but connected to everything we are in contact with and related to in this moment. And I think this the breath we can use often in that way. Then there is sensations. And when we do walking meditation, it's something that we can focus on, we can explore. Just being aware of the body, or as Caroline did, the sweeping of the body, being aware of the body. And I think this is very important because this focusing on the body, on sensation, will ground us, will in a way help us to come back again to a more multidimensional experience. Because in a way, often what happens is that we are in abstraction. We are lost often either in thoughts or in feelings. And so in a way, we, and even with feeling, we have feelings, but we generally are lost in the story about the feeling. The feeling starts something, but then again, we go into abstraction. And so in a way, to come back to the body, again, we come back to something which is more kind of grounded, Instead of lost in the thought, we kind of, okay, what is going on now? Thought, sensation, feeling, and exterior. 
So the, the body can, the focusing on the body can help us to really ground. And I think in the term of daily life, one way is to focus on one part of the body, to focus on the feet. If you see yourself already planning tomorrow, after tomorrow, next week, next month, of course we need to plan. But when it starts to be really repetitive, come back to the body, come back to your feet on the pavement. Just come back to being here. You are here now. You are not tomorrow. You are not next month. Come back if you're doing the dishes. This is if you still do dishes. Then just being aware of the water, of the texture, as a means to come back instead of, again, being ahead of ourselves the next activity, the next thing. And to, the body is kind of, in a way, coming back to what is going on now. And uh, I love this uh, story somebody told me about somebody who was a teacher in a school, and all the teachers were fairly busy, and they kind of uh, redid the toilet block. And before, they had a kind of a t- towel rack, and then they... St- this was old-fashioned, so they put a kind of a hot hair and dryer. But then the, the teacher said, this is not fast enough. You know, we are busy people. So they put back the towel thing. It was faster. And then my friend who was a meditator, noticed one lady, one teacher, continue with the hair dryer, hot hair. And finally she asked her why. She said, oh, this is my meditation time. You know, <laughs> just two, one, two minutes just to ground myself, be aware of the hot air on my hand, just bring me back, just recenter myself. And then I can go back into the, the school, the teaching, and all the agitation around that. Then tomorrow, I will introduce the sounds. And you know, listening meditation, I think, helps us because we then instead of being focused inside, we open to the outside. Also, what is interesting with sounds is that they are unpredictable. So we're kind of actually waiting for something to happen. And I think this is an interesting thing to cultivate because generally we want to know, we want to control. And here, it's unpredictable. We don't know which sound will come when. And just being with that, and also the fact that it's kind of like listening to sound. It's very fluid, very changing, and we really know the impermanence. So it's kind of, this meditation helps us to widen the field. But what is also interesting is that it helps us to be with sound differently. And with the, the looking inside the sound, if we go inside the sound, actually we'll experience it very differently than generally, oh, I like this sound or I don't like this sound. But if you sit in meditation, and we, you might not have this opportunity here because there is not so many sounds. But I remember once I was teaching in Findo, which I would say Findo is the capital of alternative Scotland, Great Britain. They're always at the forefront of ecology and everything. It's in the depths of Scotland. It's a very alternative place. But what nobody tells you is that next to this most amazing ecological place, right next to it, there is a military air base. (laughs) Nobody tells you that. 
And so uh, several times when I used to live in England, I used to teach there. And so we used to sit in meditation. And then you had this roar of the bombers starting. It was incredible. I never heard anything like it. And this became my meditation, to go inside that sound. And it was quite an experience. It was so different. Also, listening in terms of meditation can help us to develop what I would call the meditative art of listening in daily life. So here right now you are in silence. I mean, you are what I would call in outer silence. But I'm fairly sure that inside yourself there is a lot of conversation going and also a lot of kind of future conversation going. But in terms of daily life, what do we do when we listen? This is very interesting. What do we do when we listen to somebody? We do three things. The first one is we wait for the person to stop so that we can say something so much more interesting. (laughs) And then we have to remember that thing which is so much more interesting. So you do two two things, actually. You listen one third. One third, you wait for the person to stop. And the third third, you're remembering what you're going to say, which is so much more interesting. So, I mean, this is what we call listening. The second one, you look right. You know, you look like you're listening. You are in the right posture, the eyes in the right direction. But you are totally distracted, thinking of something totally. And then the person say, what do you think? You have not the faintest idea what they said, but it's interesting. Because you have ears, they work, the person spoke, but there was no consciousness. This is fascinating, that moment, to realize. You know, when we're conscious, we're aware. When there is no consciousness, the thing might touch our ear, but nothing will happen. And the third way, the person speaks and we... Overcaught, we can, oh, no, really, it's kind, of, it's kind of overtaken by it. And to me, this is what uh, the meditation here helps us to develop just to listen and not to do anything with it, just to listen. So that when we listen in daily life, then we just listen totally to the person. And then when the space comes for you to speak, Actually, you will say something which generally be more wise and compassionate than if you had prepared it while they talked. It's very interesting. And so it's kind of, in a way, opening ourselves to ourselves through this listening very deeply to the, to the person. Then there is, uh, later I will bring the, on the, on Monday, I will bring something a little different, which is a question, what is this? And I think because that questioning, and then it will be a little strange, but I will explain it all, and you can do it a little. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it. But it's very interesting to spend a day asking a question without expecting an answer. Because that technique is about questioning, not answering. And what is interesting is that it's actually relatively effective. That if we do this, 
it starts to dissolve our tendency to fix things and actually we become more flexible and we start to see that there are more choices. In a way, we become more creative. And that we can actually also use in our daily life because often we're so caught by our feeling, our sensation, our thought, or whatever it is. And then to start to question, what is this thought? What is this feeling? What is going on? Actually start to bring more space, again, more brightness into our experience. Then the last one we'll bring will be the loving kindness, where we recite certain sentences. May I be happy, may you be happy, etc. And this will be also explained on Tuesday. But what is interesting with this meditation is that actually we cultivate a certain intention, a certain kindness, a certain openness, a certain kind of opening our heart. But to me, what is most important is to see that it is not wish-fulfilling. I wish, like kind of prayer at a distance. If I wish long enough, then you will be happier, or etc. Myself or others. But to me, it's a way to cultivate an intention and to look at people differently. To look beyond the image we have of people. Oh, I like them. I don't like them but to reach out to the human being who, just like myself, is breathing, just like myself, is suffering, just like myself and ourselves wants to be happy. And when I was teaching this method in that place, in Findo, that uh, community, and I was teaching it to the, to, the, to the people from the community, there was about 20 people, and what was interesting is generally you go through... You know, first you start with yourself, you wish well, and then you, people around you, then people you like, people you are neutral toward, then people you dislike, and then all being. And somebody said, when they did it for a day, that at the beginning of the day, he had lots of people in the dislike category. But by the end of the day, they all moved up to the like category. And it was interesting, kind of so beyond why like or why dislike, and kind of look at the person in a different way. So these different methods, they're kind of tools that we use one at a time. You're not kind of, the idea is not to do them all at once, but one at a time. And then for you to find one, to choose one, which will be your main one. You'll do that most of the time because that's what is helpful. But time to time you can do the other one as a mean to train a little in it, because then you can take it in your daily life. This is very much the idea. So here we give you the tools, and then in daily life to use a tool according to the circumstances and to the condition. Then I wanted to talk about what are the tools doing when we cultivate this tool of the awareness? What's the point? For me, meditation... The point is to develop creative awareness. To me, this is the main point of what we're doing here. So that we develop creative awareness and then we can take it into our daily life. We can activate it. And this creative awareness is developed by us cultivating together what is called technically as samatha and vipassana, as concentration, inquiry or looking deeply. 
And so often when we sit in meditation, I think the, what you do when you sit in meditation is you cultivate something. The idea is to cultivate concentration and inquiry or looking deeply. But what is interesting is that a lot of the people, when they do meditation, they're not looking at the cultivation, but they want the effect. So you're sitting in meditation, and your job is to just try to concentrate and try to look deeply. That's all you need to do. But often what you do, you do it for a little, you know, two, three minutes, and then you check. Is it having any effect or not? And generally, you will think, mm, I still have thought, I am not quiet enough, I am not peaceful enough. This is not working. But, I mean, this is a little kind of moving the kind of the goalpost a little fast. I mean, once I had the, this lady come to me and said, oh, I have been meditating for 10 years and I'm not progressing. My meditation is always the same. I can't do it. It's not working. And I said, but what about your life? I said, oh, it's much better. <laughs> much improved. Much improved. And once we talked a little, it came out that, yes, a meditation was better, but it was not how she thought it should be. I doubt it will be like it should be ever. It's like how it can be. And sometimes, yes, you can have a meditative state. But to me, this is not the main point. The, the, the kind of like the mythical meditative state. To me, what is most important is to cultivate and develop the creative awareness. And how does it work? Concentration. So the concentration is when you anchor. The concentration is when you actually, not so much that you stay on the breath, or on the sensation, or on the sound, or the question, or the loving kindness. Often there is this idea that concentration is staying with something, holding on to something. Actually not. The most powerful effect of the meditation in terms of concentration is the fact that you come back. This is what works. I know you, you, you keep telling me, oh, so many thoughts. But each thought give you the opportunity to come back. And each time you come back, you're actually doing something which is fairly powerful. So this is the thing. We develop, we cultivate concentration. It's going to develop calmness and spaciousness, but it's not magical. It's not magical. It actually just works because what happened? Each time you come back, what is it you're not doing? What you're not doing is feeding your mental, emotional, and physical habits. Because generally that's what we do. We have habits of mind, habits of feeling, habits also physically. And generally we just feed them. We just continue with them. Off we go. It's kind of like a groove. Whoops! Whoops! And actually... Each time you ah, you see yourself in the groove, you don't judge it. Ah, I come back to the breath. I come back to the body. You, don't, you do two things. You don't feed the habit and you dissolve its power. And that's why 
you become more calm and spacious. It's not nothing magical. It's just that thing, just that power of intention of returning. And so what happened is not that thought disappear. This is a myth again. If you I mean, of course, if you want to have no thought, I think some of you would like to have no thought. I can give you the, the method. You go on a month's retreat in silence, you sit 10 hours a day, and I can guarantee you towards the end you will have no thought. But because there is no input, so finally, you know, it's gone. But as soon as you come back to daily life, they will come back, don't worry about that. But no... What we're doing with this coming back actually is bringing back the habits to the creative functioning. This is what is very important. That actually we don't come back to point zero, no thought, no feeling, no sensation. We come back to the creative functioning of our habits. All our habits, mental, emotional, physical, comes from a certain functioning which then has become repetitive. And so what we do in meditation is dissolve the repetitiveness so then you can come back to creative functioning. If I want to judge, I need to judge, so I use it. But it's a very different function than judging non-stop and not being able to stop. I mean, there is two habits you possibly might have experienced today. One I would say more in the feeling negative and one in the feeling more positive, but they have the same effect. One we often we do is what I call ruminating. You sit in meditation, watch the breath, the body, you're here, nothing is going on, nothing is happening as far as I can see. <laughs> and then you remember, two years ago, he said this. How could he say this? How could he do this? This was so painful. And then off he goes. He said it. He did it. Oh, it's so painful. I mean, it was not painful before. You were just here. Nothing was happening. But you bring the painful past now. And then you go round and round and round. And then you jump the present. And you move to the future. And you plot revenge. You know, the way to get him or do this and do that. And in a way to see, there is so, it's so painful ruminating and there is so little point in it. Because the past, it's in the past. Leave the pain there. You can learn from it. You can work in different way with it. But it happened then. Right now, it's not happening. And the future, I mean, first, plotting revenge is not very compassionate. But secondly, secondly, generally, the person will not say or do what you plan for them to say or do, so you can get there. You know, generally, they act according to other means and ways. And actually, the most important thing is to, to be here, to cultivate yourself now, to cultivate your creative awareness now so that when you meet them again, then you can creatively respond in that moment and not in advance. Another thing we do, which that one is a little more agreeable, is daydreaming. This is a wonderful activity when you meditate. 
The time passed very fast. <gasps> She's ringing the bell already, but I was in such a nice, I mean, it was really going well. And it starts by, if I had, if I was. You know, if I was, I don't know, a famous writer, if I win the lottery, whatever it is. And you go into this wonderful film where you do everything. You are the producer, the screenwriter, the actor, you even sell the peanuts. <laughs> and it's wonderful. And you kind of tinker with it, improve on it a little. And it's a mono-reality. And that's why it's so wonderful. It's not multidimensional. You are the commander-in-chief. However, what is the function of this? The function of this is imagination. But it turned into what I would call a mono-reality, which is problematic in terms of if you do this a lot in daily life, you become very frustrated. If you kind of have, are sitting at home dreaming of you know, your wonderful spouse or wonderful wife or husband or children, and you know they're perfect in the daydream. And then they come back from school or work and they're cranky and they're demanding. And you think, well, why not they're like in the dream? <laughs> but they can never be like in the dream. So in a way to see when we get lost in this daydreaming, actually we're kind of cultivating something which is abstract. And so how can we see it? Ah, daydreaming back to right here, right now. Back to my creative potential in this moment in the multidimensionality of my experience right now. Then the other aspect of the meditation is inquiry looking deeply. And this is cultivating vividness and developing clarity and creativity. And so we do it in many different ways, but one way to do it is, as we mentioned already, seeing the changing nature. So you observe the breath, the changing nature of the breath. Observe the sensation, the changing nature of sensation, the changing nature of the sound, the, the thought, the feeling. Just so that we see that things are not so fixed. We have a tendency to fix things, to solidify things. Often what we do is that we generalize very fast. I have a headache, I will always have a headache. I have a problem, I will always have a problem. This is very painful, actually, thing that we do, because we fix ourselves. I remember when I first learned to drive, uh, late in my days, and I was a little nervous. And this was before these new cars and automatic and everything, and you could still lock the key inside. And this happened often, time to time. And so I would phone my husband and say, uh-uh, I have locked the key in the car. Can you bring the other set? So one time, two time. And the third time he says, you always lock the key in the car. And I had this vision forever after, day in, day out, year in, year out, you know, I would do it. And I thought, you know, our marriage would be finished or something. And I thought, no, I don't always do it. I do it upon certain circumstances. 
And so I looked. I did it when I had to park in a tight space. So after that, as soon as I would tight park in a tight space, I would go for the key first. And then I did not. And then my husband started to do it too. <laughs> then the second thing we tried to do to inquire, to look deeply into is a conditioned nature to see that thing arise upon condition. This is very important. That I mean, it seems so obvious, but we don't live that way. We have a tendency to feel that we are separate, that we, things are independent manifesting, that things are disconnected. And this is to see that things arise upon condition. And I think one of the things I would like to point out is that often there is a bit, again, this myth of what I would call a permanent, constant meditation state. And that this is what we aspire to. Often I think this is a little of a myth. You know, that one day I will find the key to having the constant, wonderful, peaceful, clear, comfortable meditative state forever after, all day long. You might have experienced that it is not so, but you might still aspire to that. But I can assure you that it is not possible. Why is it not possible? Nothing to do with you or me, but to do with our level of energy. You see, it's very important to see we cannot have the same level of energy all day long. The meditation also is conditioned upon the way, the energy level we have. And so I would say that very likely the first sitting in the morning, if you are not somebody who has really trouble with early, early morning getting up, was the best one today, possibly. And then after the instruction, maybe that was not a bad one. Then the one before lunch, just about. The one after lunch, woo, that was, I was so sleepy. Then the next one, possibly not too bad. And then the last one, ooh la la, this was really. And then you think, ooh, then the one tomorrow, the one tonight is going to be awful. The one tomorrow is going to be even worse. Actually, I could tell you it won't be worse. It will be better tomorrow, I would think. Generally, it is. But it's very important to see that we're not trying to have a constant state. We're just trying to cultivate within the condition in which we find ourselves. Sometimes we feel more energetic and brighter. Sometimes we'll have a little less energy, so we'll feel a little more sleepy or we'll have a little more thought. Then again, we'll feel a little brighter. Maybe sometimes some people, when they walk, they will feel a little brighter and better. Sometimes people, when they sit... It's better for them. It's more difficult when they walk. So again, to see, it depends on conditions. This is very important to see, that things depend on condition. And because of that, there can be transformation. There can be what I would call creative engagement. If you're aware of conditions and aware of what you can do with the condition, I'm not saying you can change all conditions, not at all. But sometimes you can play with them. I remember once I uh, 
This only happens in France, not in England. And this is problem with family tombs. This is very sacred, especially in villages in France. You go to the villages, to the cemetery, and you have, you know, the family tomb. Everybody goes in there. And we got trouble with our family tomb. People say, you should not be there. This is ours. I won't go into the detail. It's fairly arcane and complex. So my mother was very upset. My brother was there. My father was there. My grandmother was there. I mean, and so, they were, and so one day I talked to another, the other side of the family about the famous family tomb. And I could see our voice rising. Kind of we both being defensive. And then because of that, both kind of, you know, going toward a little kind of voice level aggression. Then I thought, hey, hey, this is not going to help the situation. So I lowered my my voice and I changed my language and she responded. And I lowered it again. And then we kind of came back to kind of talking about what could we do, how could we deal with the situation. But to me, what was very interesting was how I could influence the conditions, make it worse or make it better. That actually it was my choice. If I was aware of the condition and not caught up and identified with the condition, this is a thing. When we see the condition, again, there is more this kind of creative encounter with what is going on. So in a way, it's to help us to give choices and to develop different ways to deal with the inner and outer conditions. And so I would say that the two things together, the concentration leading to calmness and spaciousness, the inquiry looking deeply leading to brightness and creativity, these two come together to help us to develop creative awareness. And creative awareness and help us to see ourselves and our conditions in a different way. And I would say, the, to me, the first time I saw it in action, I thought, ah, that's, what, that's the way it works. And it was in Korea. I'd been meditating for about um, a few months. And I was sitting in meditation, doing the question, what is this, what is this? And suddenly, it was so obvious that I was totally self-centered. Totally. 95%, I would say, at that time, age 22. And it was a revelation, because up to that moment, I thought I was one of the most compassionate person in the world. You know, because since age 10, I wanted to save the world, etc., etc., and suddenly I thought, no, 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 look. All my thought, all my sensation, all my feeling were about me. That was very, it was, ah. But I was not distraught. I did not think this is bad. I thought, ah, oh, this is funny. This is interesting. This is what's going on. And then I saw I was sharing the room with four other ladies. And I look at them. And they were doing exactly the same. So when our self-interest coincided, we were fine. When they did not, 
there was difficulty. And I thought, oh, that's the way human beings are. And so in a way, the aim of the meditation is not to stop me thinking about myself, but to diminish the, the amount. So to move from the 95 to 50, not to go to zero, because if I don't take care of myself, nobody else will, but to diminish it. So there is more of kind of a self-centered and other-centered is more equal. But to me, what was interesting here is that it showed me two things about creative awareness. It had two aspects. One is acceptance, and the other is transformation. That in a way, we cannot transform something until we are creatively aware of it and we accept it. And then we can transform it. Before that, we don't know what's going on. I thought I was extremely compassionate. And then people were kind of saying things to me like, I was a little nasty and thinking. I thought, but how can I be nasty since I'm so compassionate? And then I thought, oh, now I understand what they say. You know? So... In a way, I was compassionate in a very selfish way. And so in a way, acceptance, the creative awareness that we develop, helps us to accept the condition. What is really going on? In a way, what are my mental, physical, emotional habits? In a way, what are the limitations? And in a way, to learn to work with our limitation, not to eradicate it. It's not a program of eradication, but to understand our limitation. And then we can start to work with them. And also, transformation. We can see, is there a possibility of change? Can I work with this? And so, in a way, I think the meditation is to, over time, we recognize our positive quality we appreciate ourselves, we appreciate others' quality. You see, this is the thing. This meditation is not just for ourselves. It's also an awareness of self and others. If I become more aware of myself, I also become more aware of others. So if I am more aware of my positive quality, I am also more aware of other people's positive quality. And then I can work more on them because I'm more aware of them. But if I am not aware of them, I won't dare. And so in, in a way, it's kind of like turning around. It's kind of seeing what, to really see what is positive. And then really, in a way, cultivating that. And then the negative quality <coughs> is to really see them clearly. Not blindly, but to see, ah, that's what I do. Upon this condition and that condition, I will do this. Or the condition, I will do something else. And to see that we're not inherently good or bad. It's very much intention and condition. What do we do? How do we respond? I remember this was early in my career as a meditator and as a Buddhist nun. So I was a French Buddhist nun in Korea, and there were not many Westerners then. And so we used to take care of guests who came and we would have to explain Buddhism. You know, and I was very freshly a nun and I did not really know Buddhism well, you know, the four of these, the ten of that, I kind of problem with listing. And so, you know, 
there is this guest, and I said, yes, you know, there are the four noble truths of Buddhism. First is, you know, suffering, and, and then I see these monks. They, they're taking my persimmons. I pick them myself. I put them in the bucket. It's my bucket. It's my persimmon. He can't touch them. So I go, hey, you can't have this. Okay. So I get my persimmon. And oh yes, the second noble truth. <laughs> the letting go of grasping. And then the cessation. And then the noble eightfold path. I was so happy I remembered the four. <laughs> then they go... And then my friend said, hey, did you notice? I said, notice what? <laughs> well, what you did. And then I realized it was totally automatic, totally. My persimmon is not going to get them. You know, this is a monastery where we're supposed to share everything. And so suddenly I thought, oh, yeah. And so in a way, is to, we have to see what is going on before we can do anything about it. And so the thing, again, one is, has to be careful to see that it's to learn the conditions and how things work within the condition, but also to see that certain negative tendency, we're not going to stop them. But what we can do is diminish their power. You see, if you're angry for a week, and now you're only angry for a day, this is a great improvement, especially for people around you. Then if you're only angry for five minutes, it's an improvement from a day. So we have to be careful not to see, if I do enough meditation, I will never be angry or this or that or another. We are human. There are, again, anger as a function. All these feeling, emotions, thoughts have a function. But how can we bring it back more to their creative functioning? And I think that's what meditation helps us to do. And then, toward the, the end of the week, then I'll talk more about creative awareness at work, in relationship, in nature, but maybe just uh, I'll mention a little thing about nature. But before that, just to, to say just a brief example of creative awareness. I was uh, living in England, and I was uh, living with my husband, and time to time, I found myself wanting to pick a quarrel with him, you know? And I would go and, yes, he's done something. Yeah. So I would go, hmm. And he would kind of, I've not done anything. So I thought, what's going on? There was this pulsion within me, this kind of, I needed to, to get into an argument with somebody. Anger, irritation. And I thought, what's going on? And then I saw, actually, I was tired. I was exhausted. And when I'm exhausted in those days, I would become angry. I would become irritated. As soon as I saw that, I started to be more aware of when I was tired. And then instead of kind of wanting to pick a quarrel, I went to rest for an hour. And then it was much nicer. So in a way, it's kind of like to see what is going on in the body, in the mind, in the heart. And then seeing how we can 
creatively engage with it. To me, this is what this creative awareness is about, is to really help us to creatively engage with ourselves, with others, and with the world. And because there is, we are in nature here, one thing you can try to do is creative awareness in nature. Possibly, you know, when you have a resting period, you know, you have a time to go for walks, and I hope you, you can do that, especially if the weather is good. And notice what you do. I'm going for a walk. Yes, yes, yes. Fresh air. Yes, I'm going for a walk. And of course, because you're here and we talk about meditation and awareness, yes, I'm, you know, I'm going to be aware and I'm going to look, I'm going to listen. So you go, yeah. And very quickly, what do you do? Actually, you are somewhere else. You're still walking in the right direction, but you're thinking of the office, you're thinking of something in your house, you might even... Do some thinking about your closet, closing your closet, or whatever it is. But you're not here. You're walking, but you're not here. And play with that. When you're really here, look. Look at the, the, look at the flowers. Look at the green. And what is interesting is that we've, when we're creatively aware and we look, then things seem to shimmer. The whiteness is more white, the blueness is more blue. And you might think, wow, meditation is magical. Not at all. Meditation is not adding anything. But it's taking away something, abstraction. Because generally we only have there. So then things are not very clear because we're not really here. But then as soon as we come back, notice a shift from being half there or not at all there. And then looking and being totally there. And how things then become brighter because we are 100% there. And in a way, to me, this is what we're trying to develop. I'm not saying we are 100% aware all of the time. Again, it depends on energy and various conditions. But trying to play with that. How does it feel when I'm really creatively aware? And how does it feel when I'm awake? At the same time, just a slight caveat, because you're aware, creatively aware, doesn't mean that you might always be happy and fantastic. I remember I was in a train, in a long train journey, and I was totally aware. And I was also totally aware that this was a little tiring. <laughs> And awareness did not change anything. It was tiring, but it made me not kind of be upset about it. Okay, it's tiring, it's tiring. You know, train journey generally, I find them quite tiring. But it was kind of just being very aware of that. Just because I was aware did not mean I was, yeah, fantastic. I love this train journey. <laughs> I said, okay, it's a little neutral, let's say. So that's what I wanted to say this evening. Are there any questions or comments? We have a little time.
Yes. one has a tinnitus or something similar to that, like kind of already noises in the, in the ears, then actually I would not recommend inside here to focus on it because, because it's more or less silent. The only thing you hear is that. And then generally by focusing on it, it actually seems to intensify. So then I would say when there is this condition, then it's better to just do sweeping of the body or the breath. But what you can play with is to do it outside. If you sit outside when there is kind of like the birds and the wind, and so when the sound in the ear will not be predominant, but you will be able to hear, hear other things, then you could do that meditation, but not in a relatively silent ambient. Then it's really not helpful. Yeah, then I would not recommend it. So if there is uh, no question or comments, but I mean, again, you can uh, have uh, at the end of the instruction tomorrow, again, you can have the time to ask questions. Tomorrow night too, there will be a little time for questions and then during the discussion group or again in the interview. So if the question does not arise or the comment here, it also can come up in a different setting. So thank you for listening. And now there is some walking meditation. So walking mindfully, walking slowly, mindfully, and then we'll meet back here at 9 o'clock. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.